You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. What does it mean to be a man? When we look to pop culture, we might see men hollowed as macho cowboys with callous hands and five o'clock shadows. But in the media, we've seen men in public leadership brag about their loose lifestyles and flaunt their inflated ego. And we've probably heard stories of 35-year-old dudes spending their lives eating ramen noodles and playing video games in their mom's basement. Depending on your source for defining what a man is, we will carry around ideas of masculinity that need to be reevaluated, considering Scripture. So a few questions we should consider would be these. Is there anything distinctive about manhood? And even if there is something to be masculine, is it a good thing? These are questions that we should ask on Father's Day. This morning, we first must acknowledge the brokenness and confusion in our culture at large, and many of us have experienced on this topic. It's true. Just watch any TV show. You pick one, and you can see the brokenness. You can see the confusion. It's scary. I remember back when I was younger than I am today, (laughs) my father saying, your grandfather would absolutely not have a television in his house if he knew what was coming through that TV screen. Twenty years later, I can tell you, I don't think my grandfather would want to turn on the television unless it was golf playing. You have to be a part of our family to understand that joke. If you went into my grandfather's house, you didn't hear basketball games, you didn't hear baseball games. The only thing that would play on his TV was golf. I can take some seriously good naps watching golf. And I did after many Easter and Christmas lunches. But we must turn to the teachings of Scripture to say what God says about true masculinity. Before we do that, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. It's a, it's a picture of a poster. And um, I'm kind of giving you the answer to my question here by not doing what I was supposed to do and make that thing fly in. But in his book, This Men, The, the Men We Need, Bran Hansen refers to a poster. What I want you to know about this poster is it sold millions of copies. Millions. It's also led to the artist who, who drew or took this picture being invited into the lives of 3,000 ladies. I'm keeping it PG this morning for children, if you understand what I'm saying. This, This poster is hanging in almost every university. What's so great about the poster? I mean, you can barely see the man's face. You can see that he has some muscles. 
No, when you ask people why they bought this poster and they've done a survey of why this poster blew up millions of people, it's because of the way the man is looking, or the baby is looking at the man. It's what almost every woman surveyed said. I have that poster hanging in my college room because of the way the baby is looking at the man. Like a protector. Like someone who is not going to allow harm to come their way. And like I said, it's led to this man who's drew this being invited into thousands of women's lives. And he's not shy about it. He says it right in one of the articles that I read about this poster. All because of the way the, man, the baby is looking at the man. The answer is not, again, in the man, but the way that the baby looks at the man, like someone protecting him or her. The thing that God desires for men, and this is your first blank in your sermon outline, is to be protectors of our gardens, wherever our gardens exist. I have two major gardens in my life. You might have three. You might have four. The two major gardens in my life are, one, the garden that resides at Whitner Road, Reading, PA. It's my family. That's my first garden. And then there's this garden at 400 North Temple Boulevard that I'm standing at right now. That's my second garden. And according to Scripture, according to what the the first call, and you're going to see this in just a minute, so you don't have to believe my words. You can believe God's. Um, You're going to see this in just a minute. According to Scripture, the calling of Adam and the calling of every man since Adam has been to protect. To guard, to make sure they're safe. In essence, to be what every what that baby thought that man was in that picture. What happens is, is that we can sometimes fail at that. We're not alone. Adam did too. We'll see that in just a moment. But I want you to understand, if you're a man watching online or watching here in in the sanctuary, that you are called to protect in a godly way. To make sure Things are moving in the right direction. And we see this in lesson number one from the garden. Here's what lesson number one is. From the garden, men, we are called to be protectors. You could have filled that in already. 
we are called to be protectors. Here's, what it, here's where it gets kicked off in Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now that word keep is, is, is a Hebrew word. It's, it's shamar. And, and what that word means is to guard, to protect, to watch over. This again is pointing to the protection part, <clears throat> excuse me, of the calling on man's life from God himself. It's powerful. It's a reminder that that's what we were set out to be. Now what has ended up in culture is, is that where we were supposed to be and where we have ended up is on either side of this stage. So if we're supposed to be on this side of the stage that I'm standing on right now, we have ended up over there. And I believe that some of the things that we are experiencing, and I, and I, and I know I'm not alone in believing this, some of the things we are experiencing are asking men to come back to the middle, or at least over here. TV shows put us over there, some over there, some out in the backyard, or backyard, some of us out in the front yard. It's confusing. It's also why there's so many debates at school board meetings about what do you do if a man doesn't think he's that? Why? Because we've confused it. We've confused it. And now we have a world turning outside of the ramifications of what God designed. And we wonder why we have all the problems we have. I want you to notice something, though, about the garden. It's on the next screen. In the garden, work is a God-given responsibility. It's not a cause. It's not a cursed condition yet. Notice, he's put to work. You see that? Adam is put to work. Adam is told, this isn't guard sitting in a guard station, putting your feet up on the, whoa, don't do that too far, Brett, um, the desktop and just kind of, you know, uh, just kind of chilling in the guard station in the garden. No, this is active. This is making sure that garden is taken care of. The picture here of the first garden is actually a beautiful one. God is fully in charge. He's truthfully the king over his creation. But then it leads to the next question. What? What happens? What happens? And why do we have to ask that question? Well, Brent Hansen in his book says these words, and this is, this is a quote that challenged me. Masculinity is about taking responsibility. See, there's a reason why the things that we're about to unfold happened. And there's a reason why it went as bad as it went, because responsibility was not taken. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more on July the 3rd because with freedom comes responsibility. 
The problem we have in today's world, to be completely honest, is we want freedom, but we want to, we don't, no one wants to take responsibility for that freedom. No one. We want all the freedoms of the world, but we don't want to take responsibility when those freedoms cause issues. And then that becomes a whole nother issue. Again, for July 3rd. The reality is, friends, that we respect people who take responsibility. Men, that's our calling in life, to take responsibility spiritually and to be protective. I realize this doesn't do things that we like to do. Like, I can protect my family. I can lead them spiritually, but that isn't going to finish the back patio. You understand? That isn't going to fix my, my car's not broken down, but if it was, it isn't going to fix my broken down car when I lead them spiritually and protect them. But here's the real kicker. And a few months ago, I came to this part in the book. As soon as I got the book, I started swallowing everything in it. It was powerful in my life. And I came to this book, and it said, it kind of challenged me that even in Genesis, you can see this, we could be doing everything right and missing the mark. Not right by God's standards, but right by what the world tells us. It's almost like the scripture passage where Jesus says, what is it that a man would gain, would gain the entire world but lose his own soul? Brett Kendig, you can provide all the things you want to provide for your family and you can still mess up royally, spiritually speaking. That's what came through my head. And so for me, I had to take a step back and say, what am I putting my time and effort into? In Adam's life, we're going to see what we fight every day of our lives. At least I do. Maybe I shouldn't assume that everybody's like me. But every day of my life, I fight the second best. Every day. I'll give the church the second best. I'll give my family the second best. You know, when Pastor Tim was here serving as our intern, uh, or not as our intern, but as our associate pastor, he used to say to me, there were days when he would wake up in seminary and he would say these words, and this came to me in this, in this sermon this past week. He would say, I'm either going to fail my family, fail my church, or fail my seminary professors, or fail this person, or fail that person. It's just a matter of who I fail. Every day.
second best. Second best. I want you to see that Adam is told that God has given him plenty to partake of from the garden. This is something that's missed in this story. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 with me. They'll be on the screen as well. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you can freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely I have literally heard good Christian church people say, well, he was hungry. He ate. Notice what Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says. Look, look at him. If this stage is the garden, you can eat of all of this garden. You can eat of any of these trees. But this tree back here in the middle... That tree is the tree of good, and, of good and knowledge. You cannot eat of that tree. You can have any of those things. You can have the pears over here, the apples over here, the cherries over there, the plums over there, if they grow on trees, the plums over there, whatever you want to have. But you can't eat of this tree in the middle of the garden. You know what this is like? It's like telling a child that that is wet paint. Don't touch it. Right? How many of us have been in a, have been in a park where it says, don't sit on this bench, it's wet paint. So we go over to check. Is it really that wet? Same thing's going on in Adam's life. Same thing's going on in every man's life today. He told us not to eat of this tree. He told us not to do this. He told us not to do this. He told us not to do this. What do we get called to, 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 to challenge? What, what do we want to do? We want to do the very things he told us not to do. If we're honest with each other. You see, with responsibility comes boundaries. And God has made his clear to Adam in this passage. Fast forward, Adam has a helper made for him. Yes, a helper, not a slave or a servant, gentlemen. A helper made for him. I know that many have taken those scripture passages and tried to make it about, you know, you know well, get in the kitchen and do your job. It's very ignorant of scripture to say that, by the way. This picture is a picture of the same playing field. It's a helper to come alongside of you. It's not your personal servant. It's not your slave. God's word is clear. And he has this calling on his life. So what exactly does Adam do when the garden is threatened? Well, that's lesson number two. Adam does absolutely nothing when the garden is attacked. Nothing at all. 
So he's set there. He's told, this is your purpose, to protect the garden. Now he's got this. He, now, now remember, he's been through the, the process. They, now God has seen that it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he's made this Eve for him. And so now Eve is there. And Eve is being attacked by, this, by the serpent. We're going to see this in just a minute. But we're, we're, we're watching this all happen. And Adam is kind of standing off to the side. We'll, we'll talk about why we think that is true. It doesn't say it, but there's some very clear indication. And he's kind of just whistling Dixie. Not doing anything. And the urge in, in my heart when I was reading this scripture passage this week was to get really angry. Like, Adam, wake up and smell the coffee. You're about, to let, you're about to let mankind go down a road that is not a good road. And then God, you know, in his loving, gentle, fatherly way, tapped me on the shoulder and said, how many times does the enemy attack your home and you just sit there with your mouth shut? How many times does the enemy come into the church? Yes, he's here. What do you mean he's here? He's here every day. He fights you to get here every morning. Trust me. People that act surprised about that is, 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 is surprising to me. He doesn't want you here. And so he, he, he brings this, this attack. And he does nothing. You know the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden together. They're, they're told to be faithful and multiply. They're doing well. Then later Eve had a discussion with the serpent who happens to be the enemy of God. And now the text, now the text in Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. But then it continues. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, but God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make me one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. She also gave to her husband with her. And he ate it. So here's the picture. You see that scripture passage that's underlined there? Literally, what's happening here is Eve eats it and turns to Adam and gives it to him as well. She eats and turns and gives to Adam and he partakes of it. Why? We'll talk about that. This was a huge failure on Adam's part. Now, automatically, 
when we get to this scripture passage, the, the tendency for men and the tendency for me is to puff my chest up as much as I can and say, this, this is the woman that did this. But he was standing right there. But let's also look at that question. Why is it so important that Adam should have known? Because the question is this, who named the animals? Look at 2.20. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Here's what one commentary says. It's on the screen. I wanted to share this with you. If the naming of the animals by Adam shows awareness of the animal's characteristics, then it's not surprising that Eve is unaware of the serpent's shrewdness. So Adam opens this door and he says, listen, I named the animals. I know what a serpent means. It means to be shrewd. It means to be cunning. It means to be all of those things. And I'm standing there literally by what Scripture tells us and by what people who are a whole lot smarter than I am um, believe that he's standing literally there watching this serpent have a conversation with his wife. And he says nothing, does nothing. Which leads us to lesson number three. From the garden, Adam points his finger elsewhere instead of to himself. Here's what verse 23 of chapter 2 says. And Adam said, this is, how, this is now the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I want to just stop there for a second. This is when Adam finally has a, 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 a helpmate. And there she is. And look what he writes about her. She's bone of my bone. She's, she's woe, man. Look at this woman. She is awesome. But watch what happens after he fails. Listen to Genesis 3:11 through 12. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, this woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. I have written here in my notes, the honeymoon is over. It's over. First, it's, she is woman. She is, look at this woman. She is my, she is bone of my bone. She is everything I could, I could want. And then after he fails her, after he partakes of the fruit, look what the first person he wants to throw under the bus is. God says, who told you you were naked? Well, you know, this woman <laughs> that you gave me, if she wouldn't have eaten of it, I probably wouldn't have eaten of it. Oh, how the tide has turned the woman you gave to be with me she provided it and I ate it so notice where does Adam point to Eve 
We know farther in the story, we're not going to get into this today, but farther in the story, Eve kind of points to God. Because you see, when responsibility is given, there are boundaries put. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to blame it on the other person. Why are you so angry, Brett? Well, you know, Michelle, she, she doesn't, but she brushes her teeth kind of weird. Can't you give me some, couldn't you give me somebody that could brush their teeth normally, God? I mean, this is a ridiculous example, but these are the things that go through our minds, right? They eat with the side of their mouths. It's kind of a weird thing. Couldn't you just give me a normal person? Because we point everywhere but here. Came to my realization that I cannot, I cannot put responsibility on you as one of my gardens and then not point my finger at me. See, sometimes, as, and I know this is going to be hard to swallow, but please listen to me. Sometimes as pastor, you, you sometimes say to yourself, well, if you've given me a different congregation, You do. And any pastor who tells you they don't think that kind of stuff is lying to you. Well, if you would have given me somebody, if you would have given me people who were doing this or doing that or doing this or were compassionate about this. And God has reminded me over the last couple of months that maybe I need to start. Maybe instead of going like this, I need to go like this. And so from, I don't know, for the last several months, maybe a little less than that, one of the things I've been doing is I've been getting out of my office occasionally and just walking the perimeter of the church campus. But it's what I do when I walk that perimeter. I asked for Satan to get the heck out of here. I asked for the word of God to pierce like never before, starting with me. I asked the Lord to bring new people that come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not from other churches. I'm, you know, nothing against people from other churches, but I want to see new people coming to know Jesus. I ask for your hearts to be ready to hear what he lays on my heart every Sunday morning. It's like every hour I get up and take a walk and I just pray it. Because this sermon, this message has challenged me 
It's not just your responsibility. I don't somehow get a pass because I'm up here. That's the call that God's asking of each of us. To stop saying it's that person's problem and to start saying it's about me. You want to know when revival will start? It won't be when we bring a revivalist here to America. I've, I've long been skeptical of people who put revival on their church sign and say, we're going to have a revival. Because a true revival is when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of somebody's heart and it causes an outpouring in everybody else's heart. It starts with you. It starts with me. It's not something we put on the calendar. It's something God does. But the lesson number four is probably the hardest one to swallow in so many, so many, so many ways. From the garden, Adam's choice to do nothing cost him greatly. Again, Adam's choice, not anyone else's choice, cost him greatly. See, don't we make excuses today? We do. We've already covered that. Let's go back to another powerful man in the Old Testament, David. David sins. You know the story. He has a relationship with Bathsheba. I, I, I challenge you to go back to that story and read it and see where David says, well, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been taking a bath on the roof, I wouldn't have gone and done that. You can't find it. Because at the end of the day, David realizes after his conversation with Jonathan, this was my choice, man. I chose this way. And what have we done? We've heard things like, well, if that person wouldn't have dressed that way. It's still a choice. still a choice. In Genesis 3, 22 through 24, we see that response of God. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know, God and evil, to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You catch what's going on here? In God's kind of God's way. He gave Adam a responsibility. Adam failed at that responsibility, and now he puts angels in charge. He says, I asked you to protect the garden. You didn't protect the garden. 
Now you're out. And in your place, I'm going to put cherubim and I'm going to put a flaming sword that turns every which way. Adam lost the presence of God that day. He probably wished more than anything that, that, that he made different decisions. What about us? What about those of us who are making decisions contrary to the word of God? Thank God there's a new covenant. Thank God for Christ. That's why we sang Jesus thank you earlier, by the way. Thank God for his blood. That instead of when I make decisions that are contrary to his word, instead of him putting me out of the garden and taking me out of his presence, he shows me a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chance. There are six decisions that will change your course, friends, if you're willing to make them. And this goes for men and women, even though it is only geared towards men this morning. I'm only going to read them as application statements. They're directly out of Brant Hansen. This is his chapters, basically. So the first thing that we need to do is forsake the fake and relish the real. Forsake the fake. The fake is Facebook. The fake is Twitter. Right? We have thousands of friends on Facebook. They don't know anything about us. But we do. Forsake the fake, relish the real. Relish what's here in front of you. Protect the vulnerable. That's the baby. That's the child. That's the children. That's the people in your life. Be single-minded about the right things, right? Know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Make women and children feel safe, not threatened. Choose today who you will serve, who you will become tomorrow. See, it only starts with one step. Take responsibility for your own spiritual life. That's been the biggest help for me. I can blame a whole host of things of why I don't grow in his word. But really when it comes down to it, it's because I choose not to grow in his word. As we've learned from Adam, lost the very presence of God and that he, Adam, enjoyed in the garden, but it's his choice, friends. Today it's our choice, and may I say I think the consequences are just as high. I think Adam probably wished that he had died physically after losing the presence of God in the garden. I really do. I wonder how many men are walking around today spiritually dead because we missed the opportunity to protect when we had the opportunity. Here's the great news. Adam missed the mark. That's not the great news. We are to battle with missing the mark. That's not the great news either. The great news is God's mercy and grace await when we admit to missing the mark and stop blaming everyone else for missing that mark, for not doing the work of the Lord, and start looking right here in our own hearts. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Take responsibility. God has given you an array of garden of life. 
The earth is a beautiful thing. He's given you plenty of places to eat. But he's asked you to follow some boundaries. That's all. You can play in this big recess of life. Just be within the boundaries. I pray for men who will be inside the boundaries. I pray for women who will be inside the boundaries. I pray for a church who will be inside the boundaries. Not that we aren't in many ways, but I don't know about you, but over the last several months, I've seen places where I like to push the boundaries. Yes, God, you say, here's the line. I'll just take one step over. It's okay. And that step leads to this step, and this step, and this step, and we go right off the stage. Powerful. So I pray that you will learn from Adam's story. Not learn how to do it wrong, but learn how to do it right. Protect, guide, lead. Follow his word. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 